Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 159, The Offspring. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, but you can call me Father. And I'm John Champion, and you can also call me Father. Oh, the Mission Log audience has two daddies. And that's how all sorts of rumors get started. Not that there's anything wrong with that. This week, <laughs> just to cut you off. Just go right this ahead, week, yeah. This week, it's the offspring when we get to say hello to Data's kid, Lol. OMG. LOL. Not, no, not not LOL. It's no. LOL. L-L-A-L. Well, that's not nearly as funny. Sorry. It's yeah. just one thing after another no, with uh-huh. me. I don't know what the deal is. Hey, in fact, here's another thing. It's the contact information for how to get in touch with us. And who wouldn't want to after that beginning, huh? <laughs> uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, we would love that. Phone number 323-522-5641. Number again is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and links to other things, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. But first, Ken, trivia, if you will indulge me. So, Okay. Okay. <laughs> Today's episode, The Offspring, was directed by, uh, directed by a guy you may have heard of named Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Keep Frakes. You- Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan. He directed The Librarian. <laughs> okay, Jonathan Frakes. He with Magnificent Beard. Uh, this was his first real directing gig. And um, they, people pretty much know the story because he, he has told it many a time. Um, but in the first couple of seasons of Star Trek, he expresses interest in directing. So he let Rick Berman know. And Rick Berman said, okay, well, you're going to go to Paramount School, which was just his way of saying you have to go around and learn every single thing about the process of making TV. So you're going to go to audio sessions, you're going to go to post, you're going to sit in on casting and meetings. And he kind of hoped that it would turn him off from the whole idea. But no, Frakes persevered and he became then the first Star Trek actor to direct an episode of Star Trek while on the show. Shatner and Nimoy obviously had directed feature films, but Jonathan Frakes broke some new ground by doing this on TV. And an interesting story here about the writer. Today's episode is written by Rene Echeverria, a name we should all get used to because it will come up again. Um, Fun story about him. So he was in college and he thought he was going to go into medicine like his father. And then kind of on a whim, he auditioned for Cats. (laughs) He moved to New York City. He was a waiter because that's what you do when you're an actor in New York City. And he wrote a spec script for Star Trek. And it was The Offspring. And because of that open door submission policy, they bought it. 
So Michael Piller, of course, came in and did his magic, and he shifted the focus more from lol toward data, and it became the episode that we see here today. A um, couple of uh, visual notes here. We get to welcome back an Excelsior class ship. Now, this one doesn't actually get a name, but it is Admiral Haftel Sweet Ride. And uh, for the first time here, Ken, we get to see the Picard double face palm, which has become a very popular internet meme. And we mentioned the name Lal. Picard says that Lal means beloved in Hindi. It's closer to dear or darling, and it's typically a name used for males, but it is still a word, a phrase that has some meaning of affection in Hindi. Now, let's talk about our guest stars. Hallie Todd plays Lal, and most famously, she played the mom on Lizzie McGuire. But in the 80s, she was on a show that I watched a lot on Showtime called Brothers. It ran from 1984 to 1989 and has the distinction of being the first cable TV show that was syndicated onto regular broadcast TV. And its themes were really cutting edge for the time that it aired. Do you remember that show? Uh, no, I do not. All right. So three brothers who live in Philadelphia and uh, Hallie Todd played Penny. She was the daughter of one of the brothers, the middle brother, Joe. And uh, the show started out, its pilot episode started out in which Joe and his other brother are, uh, his older brother at the wedding for their youngest brother. He backs out of the wedding and admits to his two brothers that he is gay. And in 1984, now granted this was cable, but then it very quickly made the move over to broadcast TV. This was pretty interesting subject matter. And um, after screening a couple of episodes to prep for this to kind of refresh my memory, it's incredible the things that have changed in TV and our attitudes and perceptions and what is funny and the things that have not. Hmm. Now today, oh wait a minute, we, you gotta uh-huh. forgive me. I I I feel like we would be remiss. Um, Soap did mm-hmm. it in '78. Oh, yeah, they did. They they had the character played by Billy Crystal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But he was not the central focus of that show. That's true. But this nobody show, was the yeah. central focus of that show. No, no, no. The, this show starts off that 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 is kind of the premise okay. of the show. And these two older brother characters trying to deal with that for the better part of five seasons. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, today, Hallie Todd runs Hallie Todd Studio. She is an acting coach. And uh, Nicholas Coster plays Admiral Haftel, and uh, he was born in London. He has had a long career in TV soap operas, but appeared in many other guest roles as well as in film. Um, Funny, we had an actor from Titanic in last week's show, but Coster was in the 1953 film Titanic, also in an uncredited role. He shows up in such diverse shows as The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo, The Facts of Life as David Warner, no, no, no. Not that David Warner, not the David Warner. Uh, Third Rock from the Sun, and on and on. Do not attempt to adjust your listening device. The static you hear in this episode is not your fault. There were myriad technical difficulties recording the show this week. I blame Admiral Hafto. Prologue. The Enterprise has a boring charting mission, and Riker is away on leave. No problem. There's probably something else happening for our crew to occupy their time. Jordy, Wesley, and Deanna are interested in what Data has been doing in a secret lab. When those three show up early to find Data, something is afoot. Literally. And figuratively. Data is holding a foot. 
of the android variety, and he affixes it to an android body before welcoming his three friends. The new android, with an indistinct face and body, is introduced as Lal. And they're like, LOL, and LMFAO, and Data's like, no, Lal with an A. Lal asks why these other beings are wearing clothes, father, which really startles everyone else as Data confirms, yes, Lal is his child. Act 1. Bring in the big guns. Picard comes to the lab to meet Lal. Data explains that he copied part of his positronic brain to create Lal, continuing the work of Dr. Sung, and expects Lal to learn and grow with the same capabilities Data himself has. Picard is impressed, but a little concerned. He says that he wishes he'd been consulted, to which Data asks if he should deactivate Lal. Picard objects that Lal is a life form, and at some point, Starfleet will become involved. Deanna's attitude is, hey, chill out. Lala's basically a child, Data's child. Just let Data do his thing, okay? Data is planning to treat Lal just like a child with himself in the role of parent. First step is to help the nondescript android choose its own gender and look. Deanna helps, going through composites of human, Andorian, Klingon, etc. Lal finally settles on human female for herself, and Data has outdone himself on replicating the desired look. Lal, more so than her father, is a dead ringer for a genuine human being. Act 2. Data takes Lal to his, well, their quarters, and gives her a basic primer on things. Chairs, tables, painting, flowers. She's taking it all in and learning fast. Really fast. She's socializing, trying to play ball with Wesley. Data is taking it all in like a proud parent would if he experienced pride. He does acknowledge that he's experiencing what it's like to learn these basics all over again through her. Wesley has an even better suggestion. Why not send her to school? There would be other kids there who would at least resemble her age, mid to late teens or so. They've got teachers, puppies, the whole thing. Data agrees, and it's just as well because Lal is starting to ask the really tough questions about where she came from and what her purpose is. Meanwhile... Picard has heard from Starfleet, and the conversation is kind of tense. Admiral Heftel is insistent that Lal should come to Starfleet, that she may be studied, and Data's presence there is neither wanted nor needed. Picard tries his best. He is in control of things on his ship, after all. Lal begins school, but even that doesn't go terribly well for her. She isn't socializing well with the other students, and the youngest kids are kind of afraid of her. Data has to have a very real talk with her about the difference between kids laughing with her versus laughing at her. He goes to Dr. Crusher for help. She, after all, is raising a teenager herself. The best advice, though, is just to be there for her, to give her love and attention. And Data admits that the love part of the equation is something he simply does not have. Admiral Haftel calls Picard late at night with a short message. He's on his way to the Enterprise and he has Starfleet's permission to take Lal back with him. Act 3. Data is at work improving Lal's neural pathways, and he has an idea for her interpersonal development. A job. In 10 forward, Guinan is happy to have an extra pair of hands, and she's glad to give Lal an opportunity. She and Data are even more intrigued that Lal is able to use contractions in her speech. Could it be a sign that Lal is exceeding Data's programming? 
before he can think too much about it, Picard summons Data to his ready room, where he explains that Admiral Haftel is on his way and may be stepping in to remove Lal to a research facility. Data objects, for many reasons, but the Admiral may overrule them both. Lal is learning about some of the more interesting ways humans interact by observing people in Ten Forward. There's flirting, hand-holding, kissing, all very new and somewhat confusing to Lal. Riker is back from his leave, and he stops by Ten Forward and immediately gives Lal the eye. When she tries to implement what she has learned by planting a big kiss on him, Data interrupts as a concerned father asking exactly what the commander's intentions are. Lal's confusion grows. She is aware that she cannot and will not experience emotions. She, and Data for that matter, will forever be able to interact with humans but never experience their emotions. It is a limitation, he admits, that the effort to carry on yields its own rewards, even if he and Lal will never truly be human. Act 4. Everybody say hello to Admiral Krabby Pants. Half-Tell has arrived. He's a lot less interested in learning about the current situation and rather just announcing that he is there to take Lal. The longer she is with Data, the more damage can be done. Best take her away to be studied by top men. Top men. Data informs Haftel that he has completed copying his neural net to Lal, but there are some slight aberrations. She can use contradictions for one, but he's careful to study anything that is out of the ordinary. When Haftel first sees Lal, she is in Ten Forward, the social nerve center of the ship, and doing her thing, serving drinks and observing human behavior. Haftel goes from unimpressed to deeply unpleased, and he asks to meet Lal. The meeting goes... Well, about as poorly as can be imagined. Haftel is really trying to sell the research lab to Lau. Oh yeah, you'll love it. You'll be away from your father and all you know will be surrounding you, studying and judging everything. Doesn't that sound like the best? Picard has a novel solution. Why doesn't he ask? The answer from Lal is a decisive no. Then something weird happens. It's not just contractions that Lal has picked up apart from data. It's emotion. She's genuinely confused, frightened, scared. She goes off to see Deanna Troy, who picks up the emotion right away. Lal knows what it means to feel. Act 5. Haftel doesn't really know when to stop. It's really kind of an illness. Now he's buttering up data. Oh yeah, you are a great father. No question about it. Really, I feel ya. But what if a Romulan took out the Enterprise and we'd lose both of you? That's why we have to split you up. Picard sees the point, but come on. Really, come on. Lal depends on Data. This is wrong, and Data agrees too. He is not prepared to give up Lal. Haftel sees the emotion of the arguments, the sincerity of Picard and Data's positions. Who am I kidding? The rest of his argument goes something like this. I want, I want, I want, mine, mine, mine. Data is ordered by Haftel to turn Lal over to him. Picard tells Data to delay the order. Time for a little old-fashioned, conscientious objection to the direct order. There will be no blindly following orders today. Before the debate can carry on much further, an urgent call comes from Deanna Troy. There's something wrong with Lal. After the emotional event, Lal has returned to the lab where she is less responsive. Her neural nets are failing. In what can only be described as brain surgery, Data will have to reboot Lao while maintaining her higher functions. It's grim, 
and Haftel offers to help. Some time passes, and Haftel exits the lab to let the others know what happened. Data made every effort to save Lao, but the damage was too intense. His hands moved so fast that Haftel's eyes only saw a blur. Lao cannot be saved. Data has a moment to say goodbye. Lao will shut down. But before she goes, she tells Data she loves him and thanks him for life. A moment later, she is gone. When Data returns to duty, he explains what happened to the bridge crew. She was deactivated, but her programming, her memories, were transferred to Data and will always be a part of him. The end. Boy, Picard would have hated Spock steaming Viger a child. Yeah? Don't you think? Yeah, well, I, I fail to see how a five foot android with heuristic learning abilities and the strength of 10 men could be called a child. <laughs> I mean, Vijay was what, 1.2 AUs wide? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. That, uh, the astronomical unit. <laughs> oh, okay. This is from the Earth to the Sun. Yeah, okay. yeah. Vijay yeah. was huge. Vijay was huge. And powerful. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I don't think Picard would have bought it. Not for a second. <laughs> no. no. I think you're right. Yeah. You're right. Hey, uh, Riker's on leave, and A, I thought he didn't take vacations, because he pretty much made that clear in an earlier episode, and B, where do you drop him off and pick him up? Wherever. Okay. Behind the camera, mister. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reason. Well, no, it's, uh, well of course, it, it definitely is the reason. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So he only has that one short moment in there. And, um... Well, too, he's also there at the end. He's look, also at the very end. Looking yeah. sad like everybody else. Yeah, as they should. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting idea. Like, the Enterprise is way out in deep space. Maybe there's a star base somewhere. But it's not just like, okay, well, we have to go do this other mission, but eh, we'll just leave this guy here and we'll come back. It'll only take three weeks to get back. <laughs> you know? I'm saying the distances are huge. Huge. Yeah. Like Viger. Yeah, like, like yeah. Viger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. A lot of times people were horrified that I wasn't watching the, um, you know, sort of the the remastered editions of the different shows that we've been watching. I've been watching whatever's been on Netflix. Sure, yeah, which recently became the HD version. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. and, and here's a good reason that I haven't been watching the HD version. Is, is the book in Picard's Ready Room always open to a Midsummer Night's Dream? You just fixate on that? <laughs> well, no, here's the thing. It caught my eye. The yeah, the illustration yeah. caught my eye. At first, I thought it was uh, Giger. <laughs> mm, right. But then I looked at it more closely. I was like, no, that's, I think that's, I think that's bottom. Hot. Oh, bottom, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. and then I looked over on the side, and it says right there at the top of the page, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Right. And so I was wondering, did they choose A Midsummer Night's Dream for this episode in particular? Oh, yeah. And, and then I would have to know a little bit more about A Midsummer Night's Dream to know why, or is it just always open to A Midsummer Night's Dream? And follow-up question, what good is a book that's behind glass? <laughs> well, you just you get to see that art every time you yeah, walk you into the room. Yeah, you can see that plate. Yeah. <laughs> that plate. Hey, just order a plate if that's what yeah. you're going to do with that. <laughs> have five of them. Um, I like the uh, unnecessarily slow lowering mechanism in the lab. Uh, you know, when we first meet Lal, like he's got the body down at, at kind of work level so he can attach the foot. And he's like, no, 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 wait, everybody stay out. And then he raises the thing and then they come back in so he can lower it. Yeah. Very dramatic. But all I could think about is how the people on the deck above feel about that space being used up. <laughs> it's like, you know, they could have fit maybe like two more crewmen 
in in a, a room up there and they're like no 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 this is the thing where if you're on the deck below it comes down and it's very dramatic and people clap and it looks great so sorry crewman johnson and crewman jones you're gonna have this big column that just juts up in the middle of what what would have been really spacious quarters maybe you should try the holodeck instead <laughs> um when Lyle's picking out what form she will take yeah um as an android i did you like we see a human and then and we see the klingon the andorian was really kind of fun because it looked like an illustration from uh, a sci-fi magazine in the 50s about little green men or in this case bluish it you know? did it what's weird though is we've seen an andorian before yeah I, I was confused by the very the cartoony yeah is that what they look like when they're younger oh maybe okay sure we'll go with that yeah <laughs> why not why not? Uh, I, I think everybody was a little embarrassed about uh, Beverly calling Wesley about his haircut. You know, <laughs> thanks, Mom. Yeah. I'm in the lab with the lowering mechanism talking to Data. How yeah, that was, that was actually kind of a weird thing for her to do. It was. It yeah. Was. <laughs> yeah. They just, you know, they're, they're looking at the script. Somebody was like, oh, we got to get Wesley out of there. Uh, okay. Uh, mom calls. <laughs> was she going to track her on him, though? Or did she call the barber shop looking for him and he wasn't there? Oh, my god. And also, I kind of figured there would be sort of a Jetsons thing going on in the 24th century, right? Where you just, mm-hmm. like, lower a bowl under your head and it gives you the perfect haircut. And then you don't oh, like it. You great. lower the bowl again and it changes the haircut. Right. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be terrific. Sort of Jetsons-y. I had a question about, uh, and this is really minuscule and goofy and stupid and, mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. Um, do they not have, like, galactic time? Mm-hmm. Like, does the Enterprise not run on whatever the Earth clock is or whatever time it is in San Francisco where Starfleet is headquartered, right? Yeah. Right. Well, no. Is Starfleet headquartered? Time. Wait, is Starfleet headquartered in San Francisco or was it just the Federation was founded in San Francisco? No, Starfleet is in San Francisco. I figured everything was on Pacific time. Okay, so then is yeah. Heftel calling Picard in the middle of the night, or is Picard sleeping in the middle of the day? Well, the guy's got to take a nap whenever he can, but it seemed like it you was think so? probably middle of the night. It did seem like it was middle of the yeah. night, so is Heftel just that much of a jerk? Uh, the long and short version of the answer to that is yes. Because <laughs> okay. here's the thing. My, right. I, uh, Heftel is the most horrendous person person (laughs) (laughs) that we have seen so far who who has that that level i mean he puts original series top brass to shame Mm. it never even occurs to him to simply ask data's or anyone else's permission or opinion on the matter at all it doesn't so picard has to do it for him picard has to step in and go like oh here's what decent people do they ask Mm -hmm. before they do something stupid bruce maddox we get a humanitarian of the year award next to admiral (laughs) haftel he absolutely would and and haftel is denigrating toward cocktail waitresses and i find that is denigrating too i found that actually kind of a terrible thing Cocktail waitresses are, first of all, awesome. And, <laughs> and second of all, as Guinan established, that guy has been in a bar or two in his life. Yeah. So, you know, you don't denigrate somebody else's job. You just don't do that. And then, and then what does he do? All high and mighty. I am Starfleet. Really? Really? You are. You, just, <laughs> you look you up, look you up on the internet, Starfleet, and it's a picture of Admiral Haftel. No. 
You you really no. You really did not like Admiral Haftel, I think. Not a fan of Admiral Haftel. But you know what? I think when we get to the end of the show, we're going to talk about justifying the way that Haftel is. In you a, think in a, so? Really? In a, yeah, yeah. In, in a weird way. Hmm. In a weird way. Yeah. I I will be interested to see how we do that. And by the way, was it his mistake? Yeah, it's his mistake. There are only two Soon type androids in existence. Oops, we forgot to put Lore in the mission log. Okay, here's what I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Are we under the impression that Lore is dead now? Because Data actually makes that mistake as well. Yeah, but they don't record that information. Like, hey, we met Data's brother. That doesn't go in the captain's log. What I'm saying, though, is Data made that mistake as well. He said that there was oh, only yeah, one yeah, like yeah, yeah. There's only one like him. And if he's gone, he's gone. But now he's made, and we're going to talk about this as well. Oh, now yeah, yeah, now yeah, he's yeah, made yeah, a daughter. Yeah. So, you know, that will continue. And so... Yeah, like whoever wrote this episode, uh, and then whoever checked the episode, whoever reworked the episode, yes, totally seems to have forgotten. And whoever acted in the episode, everybody has forgotten about lore, (laughs) it seems. OMG. LOL. It seemed unfair that I would be the only one to not make the LOL joke. SMH. So I know I'm the guy who said uh, there is no Riker. Mm-hmm. And my whole point in saying there is no Riker is, you know, I want to try to look for the the messages, the morals, the meanings, the sort of, you know, the the human condition mm-hmm. of an episode, right? Yeah. I'm having a hard time separating uh, what's being said about data and emotion and feeling and all that from the rest of it. I think it's because we keep we keep sort of fixating on this whole like well data has no emotions has no feelings thing and I often wonder about well prove to me that I do mm. or mm-hmm. prove to me that you do and mm-hmm. so while I don't want to get caught up in the whole well how long does it take to get from this planet to this planet then how could they have possibly gotten there in that time or well we actually know from the Kittimer Accord that you know this (laughs) I don't want to do all that but I can't let go for some reason I can't see past a lot of what's going on with Data and his humanity and feelings and all that stuff so if you'll indulge me I need to hit a bunch of that today do it because I'm very curious where this is going because I'm well I I don't want to preemptively say that I disagree (laughs) because I I don't I don't think that's the case, but I think my experience with this was was different. Okay. So so I want to hear what you have to say because um it, it goes back to my mention of Haftel and the way that he is and and my feeling about this being not real and I put that in finger quotes right. which you can't see me do. <laughs> no, thank, thank goodness you were there to tell us about it though. Yeah, you're and, welcome. And do the finger quotes. Mm-hmm. Um could could Picard not just order data to be more human? Could Picard Mm. not just order Data to start using contractions and recognize that he has emotions just like everyone else? I guess the problem that I'm having is, is it just that nobody has told Data yet? Look, you feel, sadly, you do it alone just like everybody else. Mm. (laughs) Ultimately, Mm -hmm. you feel in isolation and you don't understand that because you think you're missing something. But no, you've got it. It just kind of sucks sometimes. Um, I've always been fascinated um, by color, by, okay. the, by the idea in particular of red for some reason, red or blue, um, and how you and I both know what red is, right? Assuming mm-hmm. that one of us is not colorblind. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I both know what red is, but there is absolutely no way that we can be certain that we see the same thing when we see red. 
Right. We, we can both identify it as red. Right. But if I somehow magically, you know, were able to see through your eyes, what I would see would be completely different. And it might it might look blue to me. Right. Yeah. And and so I guess uh, I'm wondering if the same thing could not be said for feeling. Um, Data okay. wants yeah. like to feel. And, and I think wanting to feel is feeling. When Lal says, I do not wish to be different. Right. Yeah. Has she not at that point expressed a desire, thus a feeling, thus an emotion? And and so I looked up wish, right? I do not wish to be different. Okay, wish. Feel or express a strong desire or hope for something that is not easily attainable. Want something that cannot or probably will not happen. Okay, so somewhere in the definition of wish is desire. So look up desire. Desire, a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. Okay, feeling is in the definition of desire so look up feeling feeling an emotional state or reaction emotion a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances mood or relationships with others mm. so she feels mm-hmm. she has emotion it's not really argued whether or not she has emotion because she ends up dying <laughs> because she has emotion but let's then go to you know the whole thing with data when i created lol it was in the hope that someday she would choose to enter the academy and become a member of Starfleet. I wanted to give her something back in return, or to give something back in return for all that Starfleet has given me. Hope, a feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. Want, the verb, to have a desire to possess or do something. Wish for, desire, a strong feeling, or wanting to have something, or wishing for something to happen. Feeling, an emotional state, a reaction, emotion, blah, blah, blah. Data feels. He just hasn't been told that he feels yet. And everybody lets and let it, everybody lets him like plunk around with the whole idea that he doesn't, right? Uh-huh. Oh, I wish I could do this. Well, guess what? Then you feel, ta-da. Well, yeah. So I did think that about the contractions. First of all, like why why would that even be a thing? Other than it's very convenient that we've introduced that idea about data to to make him different to separate him. But yeah, you really could just say, okay, data. Every time you say I have, say I've. <laughs> and, and, and that's, I mean, literally, it's the easiest thing in the world. Like when you arrive at point A, that becomes point B, and then you carry on with what you're saying. So it shouldn't be that hard. Right. Um, I, I have in my iPhone, mm-hmm. if I, in a text message, type in the letters L-L-A-P, yeah. it brings up a little emoji that, that does the Spock fingers. Oh, right. Yeah. Now, that was before yeah. they introduced the emoji that actually just had the Spock fingers. It was when you had to cut and paste and do a little shortcut thing. But here's the thing. Right. My iPhone is smart enough that I can just give it a shortcut and it would say something else <laughs> instead of the thing that it wants to say, right? Yeah. I got another question about the whole emotion thing. Well, Lull I thought says, you ask if your iPhone had emotions, but yeah. <laughs> no. The answer is yes. Not yet. No, that's iOS, uh, iOS 12, I'm pretty sure. Okay. okay. Uh, Lol says, I learned today, and now somebody listening 10 years from now is like, they didn't do that until 15. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Lal says, I learned today that humans like to hold hands. It is a symbolic gesture of affection. Then she takes Data's hand, right? But she does it in sort of a weird, sort of awkward, sort of like a Mm -hmm. little kid I've never held hands before way. And so Data repositions his hand to hold hers more properly. Why? To make it look more human. Why? She doesn't want to look different. I mean, here's the thing. (laughs) You know, what does he care See, and the problem is he cares. He cares. Yeah, right. I, I know that. That's exactly where it's going. All right. That he, he cares. Right. I, yeah. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> you don't want to hear it. No, no. I mean, it's not that I want to hear it. I, I think it's a, a fascinating argument. I, I, I guess my 
my level of separation from this mm-hmm. is is to say that you know I really was thinking about our conversation about Star Trek not being real, Riker not being a real guy, because to me this really kind of drove it home that data is an android being played by a human being who has to do everything he can to suppress emotion to play the character mm-hmm. so we're we're in on that as we watch it right and and it, it's heartbreaking when he says i can be there for her but i can't love her okay so we we get it that's the reality for that character in that context and in that moment right you take a guy like Haftel and for the script, for the story to work the way it does, he has to be the worst guy. He has to be absolutely the worst guy we've ever met because we have to have this conflict. Because what we have to see is this life played out with all of this conflict in front of us. I mean, sadly, it feels like Lal has to die. We kind of go back to the thing about Utah and Riker, you know, but it feels like for the script, Lal has to die because we need a, the most emotional impact that makes us sense uh, or that makes sense for, for the emotional arc of the story. And then you go to your logical non suspension of disbelief brain that it has to happen because we have to have the continuation of the characters on the show, unless he just decided, Hey, and now we get to write in, Data's kid. And now that becomes a character on the show. And it's not it's not that show. It's not where you introduce a six year old and now here's the cute cousin. And no, no, that's that's not what's gonna happen here. <laughs> not this season. Not this season, no. No. But um you know, ultimately Data is there for the same reason that Spock was there in TOS, which is to be the mirror for us to sort of throw these ideas of humanity at and see what comes back at us uh, or back to us, you mm-hmm. know? So I found myself, and, and I know that this argument has taken place online on Twitter and, and, and it, it's fascinating and it goes in all these bizarre circles, which is kind of cool. But ultimately I kind of took a step back from it and I really was watching it with my logical brain, my, my, you know, non-suspension of disbelief brain to say, well, yeah, I mean, this is how these characters have to play this out because that that's what serves the script here. So whether or not Data actually feels and just doesn't know it yet, he's he's behaving the way that Data needs to behave in this episode because Lal is the one who has to feel and that has to be the most dramatic thing about the episode. Yeah. And and like I say, the, for some reason I just couldn't let go of it. I mean, because the oh, whole, the whole yeah, time, the whole time I'm you know writing up the notes and thinking about it and all that stuff, I'm like I'm I'm doing exactly what I wanted to not do a few weeks ago. But mm-hmm. it, it still feels to me like there's something. Well, I guess it's the whole you know prove to me that you feel anything or prove to me that I do. I mean, sure, it, the sure. whole the whole idea of of uh, uh, supremacy in a way, um, based on. And it's sort of the carbon chauvinism thing and all that stuff. I, it's yeah, I, like yeah. I said, I don't know. It's it caught me mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> for this well, episode. But, you know, I, I think that's the genius of building this episode. Great, I just skipped to the end. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sort of the, the genius of building this episode is that you get to tell a very emotional, very human story through robots. You know. Mm-hmm. 
We get to tell the cycle of life, the circle of life through robots. And and that's what's cool about it because, yeah, we we have to feel what's going on. We have to feel for data and we have to feel for a lull, you know, every little moment. And, and it's so smart the way it's these, you know, 30-second to two-minute scenes that play out. And there are so many of them, and each one you just go, oh, wow, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> you know, So it was impossible to separate emotion from data in this. Um, but I think that's the effectiveness of the character that is our emotion, just like Spock reflecting back on us, saying, here's how humans feel. And isn't it nice to be able to see that through somebody who is not? It, it, it makes the... It makes the mirror that much more acute somehow. Hmm. So what else you got? What else do I have? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's talk a little bit. I, I kind of made my case for why I feel like Haftel is the way that he is. We've met some nice admirals. We've met some nice top brass. But I think that he is there to serve the script and to force the conflict to happen. Because if it were just data creates this being – and then that being dies at the end, I, I think that story doesn't work. But it's interesting to have the conflict there with um, with somebody as absolutely deplorable as uh, as Haftel. Um, and it's interesting that his logic, I felt, was terrible from the beginning, from the get-go. Starfleet has to take Lal away from Data because the longer she stays with Data as a parent, the more damage that he can do. <laughs> that's you know just makes absolutely no sense at all even after it is established that lal is a free sentient being that's still not good enough for Haftel. yeah i couldn't figure out why starfleet wanted lal as bad as they did i mean if is it because they're worried about a race of androids rising up one at a time <laughs> is it because they want you know because they they want to be able to capitalize on whatever it is that data has come up with or is it just is it just control freakishness now i will say uh, the it's a line that we have not been able to use in a very long time because it was such an original series idea i wanted i wanted to have to just look over to um to look over to lol and say come lol i'm going to take you where you can learn about bibles and pants <laughs> right. I, I felt yeah. I, I i started yeah. thinking about the like the native american schools or the indian boarding schools um mm -hmm. which i looked up oh and i meant to say which website it was darn it it was a uh native american education something it, mm -hmm. it was associated with a museum and i'm sorry i did not copy the link um indian boarding schools were founded to eliminate traditional american indian ways of life and replace them with mainstream american culture um first boarding schools were set up either by the government or christian missionaries Initially, the government forced many Indian families to uh, send their children to boarding schools. Later, Indian families chose to send their children because there were no other schools available. Um, yeah, and just deplorable, deplorable things. Uh, no, I it, felt like we left behind a good deal of the cultural imperialism in TOS. You know, we, yeah, we 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 did. Yeah. And yet, all I could think about with Heftel was was that again. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, well, he and I love Lal's um, logic in the whole thing too, where she says, where he says to her. There's only so much you can learn on a starship. You'd agree, right? And she's like, oh, I totally agree with that. So when I learn everything I can learn here, then I'll come <laughs> see what you, what you have to say. Right. And right. Hotel's like, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, there was one other thing. And, and honestly, I don't think he was as deplorable as a lot of admirals that we've seen. I think he was mm -hmm. ghastly. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And and actually, his last line I thought was amazingly ghastly. Um, for 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 Haftel to say, it just wasn't meant to be. Ugh. So if I stab a guy, yeah, and then I help try to save that guy, yeah, and that guy dies, right? Can I then right. say eh, it just wasn't meant to be? Because <laughs> it was Haftel trying to take her away that that caused her emotions to kick in, which caused her emotional break, which caused her meltdown, which caused mm-hmm. her to die. Yeah, he emotionally stabbed her. <laughs> Does he really get to go? Ah, that's just that's just a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, let me help put this back together that I just ruined. <laughs> exactly. Jerk. Yes. Oh, you th- thank you, Admiral. And, and Data says, thank you, Admiral. I, you know, Forgive me if this were a nighttime soap. Data would have said, "I think you've done enough." Uh, right, right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah, no, I, that's just one of the many reasons that Haftel. Yeah, no, Haftel will not go on a mission log T-shirt. That's uh, <laughs> I feel strongly about him. <laughs> so, is it, it is it really the most carbon chauvinist episode yet? Then, uh, I mean, it, Data is totally right that no one else needs to consult the captain about reproducing mm-hmm. and no other life form that they have come across has merited a visit from Starfleet top brass, mm-hmm. you know, micro brains. They, they don't care about those. They're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, you did that thing on that planet. Cool. You just keep going and send us the reports back and, and we'll get back to you one day about that. Um, there is this assumption right from the start that that Picard needs to be involved in what Data is doing, and then Starfleet's assumption right from the start that that they have to be involved in uh, in what's going on. Deanna has the great line: "Why should biology rather than technology determine if it's a child?" That sounds like something that you would say, Ken. So <laughs> my hat is off to Deanna. You know, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's not the most carbon chauvinist episode, no. It's, I mean, Picard does come with a fairly carbon chauvinist idea, but it takes him no time to get off that idea. Sure. I mean, it's pretty quick. I mean, in fact, he gets, Data's like, I mean, when, when Picard says, I really wish you would talk to me about this, and Data says, I'm sorry, do you want me to turn her off? And Picard's like, you can't turn her off, she's alive. And <laughs> right. it's like, wow, right. that, that, that happened <laughs> really well, it fast. Is, it, it is interesting, though. I mean, we're, we're only so many weeks away from the measure of a man where Picard was defending, he was defending data's right to be, Mm -hmm. you know, and just saying, look, I don't understand it. You don't understand it. But just because we doesn't, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a right to be and, and to create his own life figuratively at that point, literally now, you know, so it's, it's just so strange that that it would come from him. Picard clearly is on Data's side through the rest of it, but it is kind of a strange start to uh, to see him like that. I think. Well, it, it's it's not so strange though when you lay it in with everything else, right? Why is why is LQ Sonny Clemens walking around my ship? He was dead. Sure, why didn't you sure. just leave him dead? Hey, those proto Vulcans. Right. That that guy was going to die. Why is he yeah. Why is he alive now? He should have been yeah. dead. So I mean, once he's faced, I mean, once the problem is actually in his lap, mm-hmm. he'll go ahead and take care of it. What he would really like, though, is for no problem still end in his lap. Yeah, right. you know what I mean, I'm not yeah. saying he's lazy about it. It's just, I mean, he can be fairly cut and dried um, until he can't. Yeah. I mean, until until you know, Sarjanka suddenly until he hears her voice, and then he's sure. like, Ah, crud. 
Sure. <laughs> right, right. I was I was almost clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, one of the things that left me really uneasy about this was mm-hmm. that, I, okay, so just to remind myself, Starfleet isn't real. <laughs> so we're only given what we're given in the show. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But, but man, this whole thing is just a terrible indictment of the upper levels of Starfleet. Because, so I picture this, the rank and file on the ships, and by rank and file, I mean actually from the captain all the way down to the guys peeling potatoes, they are, to me now, they're the wide-eyed idealists who sincerely believe in seeking out new life and living by this code represented by the Prime Directive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's why they do what they do. And so many times on our show, Ken, we have talked about what is life like back on Earth for the people who don't have that privilege of being on a starship with holodecks and, and you know, replicated food and all these comforts. What is it like for them? Well, now I'm kind of terrified about the the administrative abilities of Starfleet. The admins are narrow-minded, power-mad jerks who can't even make it through their own mission statement without <laughs> screwing it up. You know? I well, mean, they, it, it, Picard actually says it. We are here to seek out new life. Guess what? We've done that. Now back off. But no, they're like, oh, no, 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 we get to own this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. Uh, even on the Enterprise, I mean, for everything that you're saying about, you know, I, w- I wanted to wave, by the way, when you said the people peeling potatoes, because if memory serves, that's mm-hmm. what that's what we're doing. That is what we're doing. Yeah. Hey, that's us. That a, yeah, yeah, that is a shout out to us. Yeah, there you go. Woo! Uh, and by the way, Picard <laughs> did do a shout out to Measure of a Man as well. He did. Yeah, he did. I think you yeah. mentioned that, but he, uh, you know, said, hey, this guy's got rights. I helped define them. <laughs> like some James T. Kirk walking around. I helped write the Prime Directive. <laughs> Look at you. There was a there was a moment on the show that I was I was really pretty disappointed in, and it was somebody who was actually on the Enterprise. Yeah, he takes uh, Lal to school, and and it's like, well, so with the older kids, she wasn't that great because she's not that well socialized. So he put her with the younger kids, but the younger kids were afraid of her. Yeah, really, uh, this yeah. is not a teachable moment at that point. I mean, I would think that this right. is actually the kind of thing that Starfleet and, and that a teacher on the Enterprise should be talking about. Because let's do it a different way. Uh, sorry, yeah. Doctor Solar, the children without pointy ears are afraid of your child, so your child has to leave. Yeah, because that's pretty yeah. much what happened to all. Now, of course, you never do that with Vulcans because Vulcans are the best, and well, we all but, know that. Yep, Vulcans. There's nothing better than a, mm-hmm. the, the only thing better than a Vulcan is more than one Vulcan. <laughs> That's it, right? Right. But, right. you know, uh, the ten man and his ten kid, uh, no problem. Uh, no, 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 your child scared the other children, so your child must leave now. <laughs> all, all of that was just so painful. Yeah, and oh, I know it, the whole point is, the whole point is so you can eventually go, so Lol walks into a bar. I yeah. get that. Right. But still, it's sort of like, oh, let's find a different way to do that, huh? Maybe don't introduce the whole idea of the school thing, because... The school thing was an interesting idea, except when we find out the school thing is only introduced so that she can be shunned. Mm -hmm. It's like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, (laughs) but worse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Much worse now that I think about it. Maybe if this were like a two-parter, then we get the moment where uh, Beverly talks to Wesley and Wesley's like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of a weirdo outcast, too. Maybe I should talk to her, you know? (laughs) Maybe I should be a decent person, you know, because he is. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. We kid Wesley, but he's a good kid. 
Um, let's talk about Deanna Troy saying that Lal needs to choose between male and female. We can if you want to. We can also talk about why Lal thinks that being gender neuter is inadequate. It's just very strange. Yeah. Like, like struck she me as picked odd. that up. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, but where did she get that and why? I, I would think she would look at that and go, wow, look at all the stuff I don't have to deal with. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but uh, it, it's, yeah, it, it's interesting that uh, that Deanna would be kind of like, okay, well, so this is what it means to be human. First, you have to choose a sex. Yeah. What, uh, okay. Well, um, not, not what it means to be human, what it means to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Because right. it wasn't human yet. I caught a little cultural insensitivity off Troy, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, when she did the whole, um, when when Law was apparently considering being Klingon, Troy mm-hmm. says a friend for Worf. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, I obviously Law's not going to choose Klingon at that point because right. there's no way Worf doesn't come back with Law's head under his arm. Right, right. <laughs> because she right. would be an abomination as far as Worf is concerned. I would think. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of. Uh, the movie Grand Canyon. Okay. Uh, Kevin Klein uh, sets up the Danny Glover and Alfred Woodard characters, and and they're on the date, and 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 they're like trying to figure out why Kevin Klein set them up. And then one of them, I can't remember which one, said, "Do you think we're the only black people he knows?" <laughs> and that's sort of what I was thinking when when Troy was like, "Oh, a friend for Worf." Yes, because right. it's that easy. <laughs> it's absolutely. Right. Oh, look, something that looks like a Klingon. Here, you guys will be. Boy, they're just lucky Lal didn't choose Klingon because, well, it would have been a short episode. It would have been a very short episode, yeah. <laughs> it seems to me. Um, it, I, I was curious, forgive me, uh, no, I don't, don't want to get too far away from the whole choosing the gender thing. I'm not sure what was up with Data letting her choose that because huh. um, that's not something that kids get to do, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Well, I mean... Of course... The parent doesn't actually get to choose in the 24th century, you would think maybe, except that might be a eugenics thing. It got sort of wiped out in the eugenics wars in the 1990s, maybe. Right. Um, but if we're making the whole thing analogous to, you know, raising a kid, all that stuff, um, children go, don't get to choose. But and then, certainly then again, neither does the father. Right. Yeah. yeah. They didn't get to choose his sex. You know? Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, maybe you could make a case for... Well, I don't know. You kind of can't make the case <laughs> because at a certain point you have to say, well, okay, if the show were written now, maybe with a, a little more sensitive touch to it where you'd say, well, maybe maybe gender isn't the most important thing about this person's being. Then you could take that a whole other route. Right. Um, but I guess in this, this is the reality of what well, we, we have to – we have to get this actor out of this makeup that hides everything they can possibly do. <laughs> <laughs> Vis-a-vis right. emotion. Or name yeah. it, or instead of a law, they could have named her Oscar. Right. And then everywhere right. she went, oh, and the Oscar goes to uh, uh, Ken Ford. There you go. And the Oscar goes to uh, that's good. <laughs> Patrick that's Stewart. Good. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> well, has uh, some great questions about purpose. I thought those were nice moments. Data responds by saying that, that it, it is to contribute in a positive way to the world in which we live. And and she asks, you know, why am I me instead of someone else? Where did I come from? Of course, this is where we get to just stop that right there and send it to school. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, Data has learned a lot from Picard 
because you know data asks tough questions, and Picard practically hits data's reset button every time with oh, that. Right. That right. is just so human of you. He and literally I, turned her off. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll all yeah. ask tough questions, and Data tries to hit her reset button by applauding her for asking the tough questions. Mm-hmm. And yes, then he does eventually turn her off. When that doesn't work, he's like, oh, yep. i got to figure out how Picard does that, because, man, I never get answers to my tough questions. But I yeah. stop asking. Right. Flattery. <laughs> it's flattery that gets... <laughs> right. Because, you know, he feels the... Fl- <clears throat> Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. no that's, <laughs> that's... You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, Data, uh, man, I, I, I feel bad to bring this up because I don't want to hurt you. Data is totally okay with the idea that struggle in its own right is the reward. Yeah. That learning and striving are totally cool even if the goal is unobtainable. He says the effort yields its own rewards. Yeah, explain to and me what those are. I, I, I explained what the rewards are? Yeah. Especially for Data, but explain to me what they are in general. Well, <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> Do we do we have a couple more hours? No, yeah. I mean, I, I know this is the kind of philosophical thing that uh, that, that gets you going, and I think for valid reasons. Well, you know? I, don't, I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand it. I, it so, I mean, so what he says is, it is the struggle itself that is most important. We must strive to be more than we are. Lol. It does not matter that we will never reach our ultimate goal. The effort yields its own rewards. Okay, mm-hmm. well, if we've established that he does not feel, then he's not going to feel any rewards, and why is he doing it? And if we've established that he does feel, why would he not say nuts to this? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. why constantly strive to be something that you cannot possibly be? I'm not saying you don't better yourself, but if you come to a place of contentment or enlightenment or whatever, because this was always, I mean, this was always right. I know it, you're talking about the, the feeders of Vol. You're talking about... Omicron SETI 3. I mean, there are people who aren't trying, who aren't striving, and they are perfectly happy. And that is seen as disastrous. And now we have somebody, now we have somebody willingly saying, I can never be what I want to be, but I'm always going to try to be what I want to be, even though I can never be what I want to be. And maybe Mm -hmm. this is why I get so hung up on the whole thing about whether or not data can feel. Mm. Clap hard enough and Tinkerbell will live. Believe. I mean, if Picard literally ordered Data to feel, could he? Data walks around believing that he can't. And if something gave Data the belief that he could, would he then see that he does? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's the whole thing. I don't buy the idea that I... It, <sighs> hmm. I don't buy the idea that if I know I can't be something, I'm going to keep trying to be that thing. If I know, if it is literally encoded in me, if it is programmed in me, if it's hardwired in me, let's say I want to fly. I'm not saying I want to be a pilot, John. I want to fly. Mm -hmm. I, me, in my body, want to fly. I'm going to keep trying forever, even though physically I will never, ever, ever be able to fly. You would call me a lunatic at that point. Oh, yes. (laughs) You (laughs) call me a lunatic anyway. I know that. But you would call me a lunatic at that point. And yet Data, somehow it's noble for Data to want to be more human, even though he firmly believes he can't be human to the point that he will, in fact, never be anything like human. He won't even be as human as Pinocchio before the Blue Fairy came. Mm -hmm. It's it's and I don't understand why that is why that is a laudable (laughs) why that is a laudable moral that 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 Star Trek throws out all the time. Look, strive, sure, be better, sure. If you end up at a place where you're happy and you're healthy and you're fine, okay, don't strive then if you don't want to. 
I'm not sure why it's a constant message, especially when a lot of times that message is given to us like, yeah, 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 I know you're happy, <laughs> but you're not doing anything. So that doesn't make me happy. So do me a favor because <laughs> that would make me happy. Uh, I knew it was going to go there. Perhaps I am a little too close to the manufactured intelligence topic to be objective. But is Admiral Haftel really not going to be charged with some sort of crime? Striving, as we do in every episode. But to never get, achieving. To get to the end of the episode. No, you see, that's the thing. We strive to get to the end of every episode, but you know what? We get to the end of it. You know why? Because we can. <laughs> Time now to ask the questions that we ask at the end of every episode about the messages, morals, and meanings of a given episode and whether or not the whole thing holds up. The offspring, John. Does the episode hold up in your opinion? If we tried and, and didn't even try that hard, we could pick apart every little detail here that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it may be. Admiral Haftel's horrible attitude, the explanations for things that happened in the story arc. A and if we did that, we would be missing the point. It, this is an emotional story. And the character work is great. It's about experiencing a life, about growing up, about parent-child relationships. And it's beautiful. And no wonder this is a favorite for so many people. It's as profound a statement about life and death as you can hope to get from Star Trek. And it's just handled so well. So it just as a piece of drama, as a piece of storytelling, as a story that is about emotion, that gets to affect you emotionally, yeah, it holds up. It holds up really, really well. How about you, sir? Um, where this is freaks first bit of direction mm -hmm. i, I kind of want to address some of that um okay there are funny moments in this episode and i don't know this was not really his directing this is the writing there are funny moments in this episode when 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 lol says he is biting that female mm -hmm. that's funny i mean it was it was really it made mm -hmm. me laugh every time i watched it uh, but the standard lines congratulations data it's a girl and what are your intentions with my daughter uh that doesn't work and and that's so often what happens in Star Trek, it seems to me, with comedy. When they try to do comedy, nine yeah. times out of ten, it just, oof, it hurts. Uh, the chair with the Ferengi is a wonderful comedic thing. Oh, okay, and, yes. And there, yeah. and there are many, there are more bad comedic tries on Star Trek than I think there are good, which is why I'm glad that mostly it didn't try for comedy. Right. Um, I do love the fact that Jonathan Frakes is fully aware of who Riker is. He is Commander Horndog. <laughs> He comes, full, full Riker. He comes in, yeah, he comes into Ten Ford, and there's a girl behind the bar, and it's a girl he's never seen before. Of course, we know she's going to want him, but he says uh, flirtatiously uh, to a woman that he doesn't recognize, you're new around here, aren't you? Mm -hmm. um, had they met in the corridor rather than Ten Ford, one wonders where they would have ended up. <laughs> Just, oh, no. It really kind of scares the crap out of me. Um, his direction was really good, I thought, in this episode. I nearly, mm -hmm. I, I teared up. Two or three times. I mm -hmm. can't remember. Of course, when she dies in the end, because I'm not a robot yet. <laughs> so, of course, I'm going to you know tear up there. I can't remember what the other time was. Uh, oh, when she when she walks around saying, uh, this is what it is to feel. This is what it is to feel. Oh, God. Yeah. And just and starts so and starts good. like hitting her, starts hitting her, her, her sternum. Yeah. 
it just ah it was it was just brutal uh he did he did a, a really just a fantastic fantastic job um directing this and a lot of the writing was really great not all the writing is great but yeah i think this episode holds up and holds up and holds up i've actually had i tried to do these shows in kind of a vacuum you and i have talked about that i don't mm-hmm. talk to too many people before the episode about the episode right i've actually talked to two or three people about this episode because it just it just it uh it, it turned on too many thoughts in my head to, to sort of you know sit with on my own um yeah i think this episode is uh I think this episode is fantastic. Maybe not as exciting or pulse pounding as um, yesterday's Enterprise, but more Star Trek-y, I think. Yeah. I mean, much more what Star Trek tries to do. Yeah, yeah. I think. It, it, it doesn't have to be yesterday's Enterprise. Like, yeah. It's nice to have this purely emotional story where you just sit there and you identify with Lal and you identify with Data. Um, that's... You, when start when any show can do that, not not just Star Trek, but when any show can do that and, and make you feel what's happening on screen, that's really special. Yeah, um, I, I feel like it's almost unfortunate that The Measure of a Man was you know relatively recent um, because we retread some of the same stuff here. And like I said, you just have to introduce the villain to give it conflict, even though that's that's topical stuff that we already hit. You know, so maybe that is part of a failing of the episode. But again, I get it. I, I get it for dramatic storytelling purposes. You have to have that villain in there, and it can't just be the villain coming to like, you know, steal Lyle in the middle of the night or or kill her or whatever. It's got to be something that has some real world resonance for for this world of Starfleet and the Federation that they've created. So well, that's why you see I get it with Hafto. I mean, there's a there's a bit more. Though we're not just talking about sort of measure of men kind of things, we're also now talking about parenthood, right? Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. has who has the rights to raise a child? Is it the state, which would be represented in this case by Starfleet, or is it the parent? Yeah. Um, why do we have kids in the first place? I was I was horrified in um, up the long ladder mm-hmm. when well, not the Bringloidy, but the, the the clone people. Yeah. When they're trying to talk Riker into Riker it, they're like, "You can uh, you can keep uh, you you can live on." You, you can you can go on in history even long after you're gone. And Riker says, we have different ways of doing that. We have children. Okay, yeah. I hated that. Yeah. Um, for Data, it makes more sense because he is the only one of his kind. I mean, so not only would he have companionship, but he also would, you know, he it, – it addresses the family part of it as well. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's, it, it's not just the roboticist part um, that, was in, uh, that was in Measure of a Man. What about messages? You have to go. Sorry. All right. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the weird thing. You know, I, I, I think we had a lot of fun talking about this episode. And there are a lot of light moments within all this heavy stuff. But I feel like there's a lot of really thoughtful stuff in terms of messages, moral meanings. Going off of what you just said, yeah, you, you can't tell someone else how to raise their kids. Certainly not data. Um, there is that message that I think you have every reason to disagree with. We must strive to be more than we are. So says data, even if the goal is unobtainable. See, why is that an okay message? Striving, <laughs> striving to be more than you are, I get. Striving for the impossible, mm-hmm. I don't understand. 
Well, so I wouldn't look at it this way. You know, again, data isn't real. So in data, the Android says, I want to be human or be more human. You mm-hmm. know, more is the operative phrase there. But when you've got other people on the enterprise who represent humanity and maybe individual human achievements, you've got, you know, you've got the engineer who was blind and is blind without his technology. Mm -hmm. And not only does he get to overcome that blindness, but he gets to be a better and better engineer every day because he strives. Maybe he won't be the best. Hey, maybe he's no Dr. Leah Brahms, but, (laughs) but he strives to be better and better and better at that job every day. Maybe no one person can actually know everything there is to know about warp cores and uh, warp field theory. But you know, Jordy's going to keep going and keep going. All right. I need to make sure that this is 100% clear. Mm -hmm. I am not saying (laughs) that we should not strive to be better than we are. Mm -hmm. What I am saying is it always bothers me when Star Trek speaks in absolutes, but then wants to say, but that's a good thing. I mean, when Data says it does not matter that we will never reach our ultimate goal, the effort yields its own rewards. Okay, there are too many absolutes in here that don't work to make that work. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, look, if you want to get better at something, get better at something. I had a friend who used to get so mad because another friend of ours said, I wish I liked reading. Okay, well, <laughs> either no, you don't, or go ahead, <laughs> right? Yeah, because right, those are right. things that you can actually work on. Find something that you like to read, and then you will like reading more, and that'll lead to other things that you like to read. That's that's a fairly simple one. Let's well, go back maybe, to me saying, I want to fly. Well, good. You're not going to be able to, though, and maybe you should stop trying because you're going to hurt yourself. And, but and you know what? Maybe... Maybe discovery is part of the process. Maybe uh, that's the thing. You're killing me. Uh, no, I'm it's, serious. It, it's man. the absolute, though. It's the absolute. It's the knowing that he cannot be the thing that he wants to be. Yeah, why, but not, why not want something else? The discovery that comes along the way might actually lead to something else that it was unexpected and better. And what's Data going to care? He's a robot. He well, wants yeah, one but, thing. He single-mindedly wants one thing that he knows he cannot have. Well, Ken, data isn't real, and that's why we're leaving him out of that okay, part. Okay, but my point is... <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead. And, uh, all right, um, here's, uh, in all seriousness, no, the, the, there are a couple of other messages that came out of this, I thought. You talk about moments that, that choke you up in this episode. Yeah. I go back to what McCoy said at the end of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. He's not really dead as long as we remember him. Watching this episode where we see this full life cycle play out in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm is really profound and it's really gripping and we actually play out that death and and what happens after Lal's death at the end and when data points to his head and say you know yeah it's data speak i download and i move this and i copied so i've got her what that means in human terms is what we know we we remember the people who have left us because that is how they live yeah so i thought that was a great message in here and uh and man, the, the the other moment here that that it, that choked me up as well, it's Lal's last words, flirting, laughter, painting, family. To me, that's such a great message, because again, it, it that's such a great way of summing up a life. Yeah, we're not guaranteed anything else. 
we we don't yeah you know for all of our discussion about striving and fighting and achieving and this and that that is so simplistic and so beautiful to say that um that's really about the best we can do flirting laughter painting family why not why not throw in your own to make your own meaning you know yeah it really um, it, it really is fantastic because certainly she could have yeah. remembered you know heftel the fear of the children leaving I yeah. mean, there there yeah. are bad things that happen, and the fact that the fact that what she focuses on at the end is all the wonderful, it's all the beautiful stuff is is really beautiful. Yeah. So I would say that all of those hold up. And how about you, sir? Well, I mean, except for the one that I keep arguing with you on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this conversation will continue. How many more years are we doing this show? Oh, too many. What? Hey. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I have a feeling that we may have this discussion again and again and again. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more, so much more at Roddenberry.com where you will find products, entertainment, new and interesting news and stuff, Roddenberry.com. And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Sins of the Father. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Landru. Thal. Minuet. Lol. Is it just me? Or does Star Trek kill off some of its most relatable characters? and transmission.